Let us pray. Lord, we love you. And we are grateful that you are a God who hears our every cry. And so, Lord, we come before your throne of grace, knowing that you see us, you know us, and you care for us. We just invite the presence of your spirit to come and open our eyes to see you, open our ears to hear you, Jesus, and your voice calling to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I couldn't help but think about this verse as I reflected on the story of Juneteenth today, June 19th. And as you all know, um, likely the history of, of Juneteenth, that on June 19th, 1865, the Union General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas, with federal troops to deliver the news that the Civil War was over and that all enslaved African Americans were now free. Two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation had been issued by President Lincoln. So effective immediately was this order that this proclamation involved a quote, absolute equality of rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired laborer. So for two and a half years, according to the United States government, these enslaved African Americans were now free. And for two years, two and a half years, they had an absolute equality of rights and property between former masters and slaves, but they didn't know it until they heard the truth. Some of them stayed to ponder this new relationship between employer and hired laborer, and others took off with their newfound freedom. Now, 159 years later, one month after the shooting in Buffalo, and remembering those killed at Emanuel Baptist this past Friday, we know that issuing a proclamation and living into the reality of that proclamation is not the same thing. The past 159 years, and let's be real, in our country as a whole, have been a shameful example of America's aspirational values and the gap that exists between its actual values. The aspiration is freedom, equality, dignity, respect for all human beings. The actual holding on to power, wealth, control, along with the subsequent fear of losing it all. Power combined with fear always, always, always results in oppression, violence, and the bondage of those who are more vulnerable than those in power. And before our, jumps, our minds may jump to like the other side or whatever political party you see as being the problem, let those of us who hold any kind of social position in our country, in our society, stop 
just take a pause and be more self-reflective of the gap between our aspirational and our actual values. So one of the gifts of the lectionary, um, which are the set readings of scripture for the Episcopal Church, is how those readings can be read through the lens of what's happening today. So we have the story of Elijah, who's a prophet at the mercy of a powerful system that wants to kill him. And then in our gospel reading, we have the story of a man in bondage to demonic spirits that, demonic spirits that make his life a living nightmare. And so what do these stories have to say to us today about freedom and the truth that sets us free? So let's just start at the soul level, like our soul being the deepest and truest part of who we are. So Elijah in the previous chapter has just had this intense showdown with the prophets of Baal where he challenged their God to show his power against the God of Israel. And I won't get into that story, but basically it was no contest. It was just a huge victory for Israel and for Elijah. And Queen Jezebel, who was a worshiper of Baal, she's not happy about this. And she's dead set on killing Elijah. And so Elijah justifiably is afraid. And so he flees for his life into the wilderness and sits down under this broom tree and he prays that he might die. So he's lost all of his hope. And so he lays down and he falls asleep. Now, what happens next, I find surprising. So some of us might be like, you know, man up, Elijah. You just defeated 400 prophets of Baal. Like, stop being such a drama queen. But what happens instead? An angel feeds him. And then he takes a nap. And when he wakes up, the angel feeds him again. And the angel acknowledges Elijah's humanness, his creatureliness, that maybe he's not superhuman, that maybe the journey may be too much for him, and that maybe he just needs to eat and rest and be a creature before his creator. The story illustrates the freedom to be a human being before God who has feelings, who needs food, who needs rest, who wants to live in peace without worrying for one's life. This isn't weakness. There's no judgment of Elijah here in this passage. And the first words from the Lord to Elijah are not man up, but it was a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Why have you come? It's just another way of saying, Elijah, how are you doing? Like in that deeply careful way, I mean, you all know the difference between someone who's like, hey, how are you? you know, and someone who's like, how are you? Like, I really want to know. And it's a surprising question because we don't expect to hear that from God, right? And when you're in survival mode, that question, how are you doing, it's really hard for it to rise to the surface. So my sister Grace um, is here visiting this weekend. She's at a, a, speaking at another church this morning. So Grace is a counselor. And she's counseled like so many individuals and couples, particularly in um, overseas. And she was talking this past weekend about how important it is to create a space of safety for her clients. 
So if her clients are anxious, if they perceive that there's some threat out there, sometimes it's the threat is their spouse, you know, sitting right across from them, they can never let their guards down because they always have to be vigilant. And they aren't able to get to those, sometimes those deepest and truest part of themselves, that soul level, and really give space for their longings and for their sadness, their grief to emerge because their eyes are always out there. Their eyes are always on that threat before them. And it makes you think of how many in our society can never let their guards down because they live in a system that's crushing them. It's never safe enough with space enough to just lie down under a broom tree and be nourished for the journey ahead. Human beings can't be truly free until we feel safe enough with space enough to be a soul before God, a creature before its creator, and living into that truth that we are seen and valued and cared for. And so how is it with your soul this morning? It's a very Wesleyan question. How is it with your soul this morning? On this day, we might ask the same question of our country. How is it with our soul? How is it with our soul right now? What is the truth that might set us free? There are some scholars who say that this story about our gospel, um, about this man being tormented by demons is not literal, but that it's metaphorical and political. So when Jesus asked the man, what is your name? And he answers, legion, for we are many, that he's actually talking about a Roman legion, which is a military term that referred to a large division of imperial soldiers. And the idea with this particular interpretation is that this man represents the collective and the demons legion represent this violent, dehumanizing, destructive force of an empire forces that are still at work today, and we see this all the time. So I believe in the both and, that two things can be true at the same time, and I think that this can believe to actual demonic spirits, and I believe that it can refer to the demonic spirit of the empire that pervades so much of our society today. Two things can be true at the same time. It can be literal and metaphorical. It can be personal and political, and in fact, the personal is political. So my friend, Drew Jackson, who's a poet, he wrote um, a poem entitled Legion that's based on this gospel story. And this is what he writes. I have seen legion in my region of the world, occupying forces that distort my humanity, always waging war, and driving us to insanity. Legion is many, enemy, supremacy, oppresses us from the outside and takes up residence inwardly. Getting rid of this demonic dynamism will upset the system, but my wholeness hinges on its exorcism. I remember after Buffalo, and the shooting there, President Biden saying that racially motivated hate crimes are abhorrent to the very fabric of this nation. 
But what's so painful to realize and recognize is that our country was built on racially motivated hate crimes. You know, ask the indigenous peoples of this land, ask our African American brothers and sisters and friends. You know, those who are in recovery have a very powerful practice. So whenever they introduce themselves, they say, hi, my name is Christine and I'm an, you guys know what they say, <laughs> alcoholic. They say, I am an alcoholic because they know that there is a power to naming reality. C.H. Spurgeon, in his commentary on Genesis 1, he talks about when God called the light day and the darkness night. And he says, it is good to have a right name for things. An error is often half killed when you know the real name of it. Its power lies in it being indescribable. But as soon as you can call it darkness, you know how to act towards it. Slavery has been called America's original sin. And sin is a word that's fallen on hard times. We don't like that word because of the way that it has been used and abused by the church. And so sometimes we tend to gravitate more towards words like brokenness or woundedness, or sometimes we just entirely dispense of any of these concepts because they make us feel bad. But here's the problem. When you, when you name something brokenness or woundedness, the response to brokenness and woundedness is healing. You know, it's comfort. And that's an appropriate response for that word. When something is sin, there's only one response that's appropriate, and that is repentance. It's what the Greek word um, metanoia, it means changing one's mind, literally changing direction. You know, you were going this way and now you're going that way. And until America can name its sin and the consequences of that sin that has impacted generation after generation after generation, it can't repent, it won't repent, and its values will forever remain aspirational rather than actual. You know, words like sin and repentance that we are often so afraid of and resist, ultimately, it's about freedom. You know, freedom from that sin that keeps us from loving our neighbor, loving ourself, loving God as fully and freely as we can. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The personal is political. You can't separate the two. We can't talk about the repentance of the original sin of our nation if we don't even know what's going on under the surface of our own hearts and souls. And if our leaning is to always be looking out there and never in here, what might it look like to lean into the story of Elijah and just let our souls come out and be free to be, to be human before God? And maybe if our leaning is always to be in here and we're never out there, you know what it might look like to name what is legion 
and with compassion and the boldness of Jesus to call out that darkness so that the captives might be set free. In the spirit of Elijah, and you know, as it says in the scripture passage, the sound of sheer silence. You know, there's so much noise in our world. There's so many voices out there. And sometimes uh, when we gather like this as a church community, if you may have noticed, we've just been incorporating more silence into our worship services. And some of that is because sometimes this is the only silence that some of us have all week long. And just, you know, a minute of silence to just pay attention. What is going on in my own soul that, I, that can emerge and just come out in the safety of God's presence, in the safety of this worshiping community? You know, how is it with our soul as a country? And in what ways, you know, does the heart of God break over what is happening in our country right now, over um, the, the kind of denial of reality that we're often in, and that gap between our actual and our aspirational values? And some of our role as a church, um, as the church, not just St. Peter's, but the church here in America, is to pray, and not just pray with our words, but to, pr to pray with our lives. And sometimes that means repenting on behalf of, you know, in the same way that the Old Testament prophets would repent on behalf of the nation, you know, that we say, God, come, change us, renew us. We repent of this history, and we long to be free so that future generations can flourish here. So I'm going to invite us to just bow our heads. I'm going to give us a minute. And just allow this question of, how is it with your soul this morning? How is it with our soul as a country? And just invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. Jesus, you spoke those words of promise over us that you will know the truth 
and the truth will set us free. And so God, we pray, would you come, free us and heal us and help us, God, to live into the fullness of the reality that we are free indeed in you and that you have made each one in the image, in your very own image, God, to reflect your goodness and your glory in the world. And God, as we remember this Juneteenth, God, and this proclamation of freedom, we ask for your mercy on our nation, and we ask for that spirit of repentance that would cause us to turn from the old ways into new ways. So help us, God, and help all of us here, God, to stand in the freedom that comes from you and to be agents of your freedom in our world. I invite you to join with me in prayer 